Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> okay, here we go. We're talking. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Uh, welcome. Oh, this is very comfortable. I might have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. Why not? It is Saturday and the rains have finished. Yeah. Oh, we hope so. It's been two weeks of wet. It's been... So anyway, um, welcome to Is This Shirt Slimming, the is pilot it? episode. Yeah, this is a, a pilot means first time. It could. It also could mean that we'll censor the entire program. It'll be centred the annals of... Uh, Annals of dustbins. Um, I always always like the the term pilot. I remember when I was in India once and often the bus drivers (laughs) would put a little sign up outside their window saying, pilot. (laughs) (laughs) That was a qualification. Well, they're probably ex-military. Yeah. Anyway, so the idea of this show, I'm not sure what it is. We're just going to give it a try out and see. But we'd like to talk about music because Chris and I... um, Sorry, my name is uh, Phil Muscatello and he's Christopher Soulos. My name is Christopher Soulos. Um, We've got a a bit of a tradition in music between us. We won't go into it now, but we do have, I don't know, somewhat of an interest in music. It's a bit of Sydney history in there. A bit of Sydney history and a bit of uh, world history and a bit of musical history. And... um, You've uh, just you had a gig last night, and you're on your way to another gig. What I did, did you have do? a gig last night, and it was a very interesting gig. It was a Helen Reddy tribute show, of all things. <laughs> well, it's actually she's uh, she's borrowed a, a motif. She's borrowed the glass onion thing that John Walters does, where she's telling the story of Helen Reddy as Helen Reddy, telling her own story, and her voice is magnificent. But uh, she was someone I'd never met before. So, and we'd met. Uh, just before we went on stage, we introduced each other after the rehearsal. So we had never met. So I was the only guy in the band. But the band was huge. It was uh, two keyboard players. One one stayed on the piano and the other and piano and extra sounds. The other one was the extra sound, string parts, violas, oboes, guitar player and drummer. And yours truly. And a backing vocalist. And it was at uh, South Juniors. South right? Juniors. Yeah. Full rehearsal. One hour yeah. rehearsal before the show in street clothes. Got changed into all blacks and did the show place was full of industry people well it was the first time apparently and i saw all these industry people clubbies and people who had agencies and and uh, and uh, yeah they loved it and of course they did because we were playing going this is bloody great mm. and not realizing how many good songs because i always hated helen because of her first big hit i am woman which is written by a guy an aussie guy <laughs> and helen reddy is an aussie as well yeah, she's aussie. a true aussie that's mm-hmm. tony lamont's sister <laughs> I know, I know, it's bizarre. And Helen's in uh, in in care now. She's quite. Um, she had a disease that she discovered after her second kid, a blood disease, and she had to be careful with her work. And I think her body has deteriorated, plus the stress. And she lost her fortune. She had a cocaine gambling husband, uh, second husband, who was her agent that decided to uh, minefield her entire career after they separated and destroyed and took every cent she had. And she worked her way back. So she's she had her own TV show, man. <laughs> and uh, what's the gig you got tonight? 
It's the Helen Ready Tribute Show at uh, <laughs> Blacktown RSL. I'm glad the you Helen asked. The Helen Ready Tribute Show tour. <laughs> yeah, tour. yeah, so we're, we're hitting we're hitting the uh, the the seaboard and we're going we've gone west. It's uh, the entire nation of Sydney. <laughs> the length and length of Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we we wanted to talk about music, and we were, we just yeah. started to touch on it a little while ago when we were um, talking about uh, different music because. Um, we're, bo- we're both doing a bit of composition and we're both learning about yeah. um, music production, Correct. music engineering, yep. music um, recording and yep. all the techniques. And we're all – I know uh, that I'm having a great deal of fun mm. learning about um, how to record music, how to create music, all the tricks with MIDI and so forth. And um, th- there was a track that I sent you and then you sent me back some Captain Beefheart I did, yeah. We, um, th- you needed a bridge in the track, and there was yeah. a Captain Beefheart intro where they played this one four-bar figure once, never appears on any other record, doesn't even appear on the track again, and that we need that for a bridge. And then I discovered that someone else had covered it and inverted the instrument, so the bass part plays the intro, uh, the lead guitar part, and uh, I thought, Phil, we've got to borrow this. <laughs> we've got to <laughs> well, bo- not borrow, we've got to... Um, yeah, we adapt it. Tribute. Yeah. Hey, tribute. Well, yeah, we- anyway, so... Captain Beefheart, because um, what I just wanted to talk about, I, mm. I just now that I think back through my musical history, and um, when, uh, as a lot of people my age, um, the first music wasn't the Beatles, wasn't the Rolling Stones, it was mm. the Monkees. Yeah, and yeah, for, um, your, for your age, it was only a, there's only a slight about a year or so difference between us. Yeah. So yeah, the monkeys would have. But been it makes a difference, you know. Like the older brothers yeah. and sisters were all, you know, oh, the Beatles, and, yeah. uh, and they'd laugh at the monkeys, you know, as being a teeny bopper band, you know. Like, oh. yeah, but um, but what I found from rem- my memories of it, um, it was really a picture of what uh, Los Angeles was like in the mid '60s. I mean, they had Tim Buckley on the show, they had Frank Zappa on the show. We'll put all these videos on our um, website, blog, whatever Jack is going to be supported. Part of that scene, Jack Nicholson was friends with them all. And um, so it was this wild and crazy scene, mm. and uh, it was a very strange. Do you remember the the Monkeys movie Head? Do I remember it? I went <laughs> to see it at the Capitol Theatre. Well, I saw it at uh, Campsie at the uh, whatever the cinema was, the suburban yeah. cinema at Campsie. But you know, we were young young kids with this teeny bopper show that yes. we loved. And then you go, oh, we're going to go and see the Monkeys movie yes. for the full-on head trip. <laughs> Which it was. <laughs> of Los Angeles at yeah. the time. And yep. so when you think about it, and so just coming back to Captain mm-hmm. Beefheart, mm-hmm. Tim Buckley, Jack Nicholson, and um, and all that crew, um, there was something really going on. And anyway, back to Captain Beefheart and your thoughts. The um, That particular sort of the, I have an English disability. It's my second language. So that particular period... Uh, there was a movie, the pre- precursor movie, which was called You Are What You Eat. And I saw it on Channel 10, late at night on Channel 10, back when Channel 10 was a real TV station. They'd show these uh, movies that they couldn't show, which they obviously bought. When they bought these primetime movies, they were, obviously had to buy a packet, which was crap movies and the primetime one. You don't get the primetime if you don't buy the crap ones, which means the crap ones got a bit of mileage. They got a bit of royalty for whoever made them. But there was one they showed. There was two they showed, but the one that stuck with me was You Are What You Eat, which was the earlier than that period were the freaks, which were the guys. Uh, there was one of them was an aging artist, Vito something or other, who, um, who really loved young women, which is fair enough. And um, and that whole group of people. And remember there was a song called My Name Is Jack and I Live in the Back of the Greta Garbo Home. It was actually a real place. 
And there was a kid called Jack, and the song's about this guy called Jack. The pop song that was on the radio is a cover version of the original song, which is about a real place. And you walk into this place, and there were stairs, and right in front of your door when you're walking in the landing is a great big poster of Greta Garbo. And he would play in the back, and he'd run up and down the stairs, which is the song. So that was the precursor, and Captain Beefheart came out of that period, and Zappa came out of that period, because there's a... There's a, there's a was he Greta Garbo home in Los Angeles? There was a pl- home that had the big poster of Greta Garbo in the front door, because posters were big in those days. Life-size posters was a new thing, and they were the black and white, big black, black and white movie posters was a trendy thing in the early 60s. So these actual people, the freaks, which are... There's photos of these actual group of people on the first Frank Zappa album, and in this movie, You Are What You Eat, there's the camera goes into the Whiskey Go-Go, and Zappa is playing on stage. It lasts for about two seconds. Seconds. But you recognise him because he's wearing exactly the same clothes as what's on the Freak Out cover. So it's this amazing movie. And Beefheart was part of that scene. But Beefheart was a slightly more talented musician than Frank Zappa. Oh, that's a big call. But actually, they went to school together, didn't they? Uh, that's, I think, yeah, I think they met each other at high school and Zappa decided to start Studio Z and they were doing the early recordings. I've got a single of them doing the surf music. <laughs> Ray, was it Ray and the Baby Ferns? And <laughs> we'll try and find a clip on YouTube that we can post as well. well I've got the record. Uh, Ray Collins was the lead singer, but they were uh, Zappa and Beefheart were recording in there, doing that stuff. That was the studio that Zappa did. Apparently, it was like a rat-infested crap hole, but but it was good enough. And they were in their early twenties, so you know how it is. Sorry, I, I interrupted, but you were saying that Beefheart was a better musician than uh, yep. than Zappa. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's a bit of jealousy there. And that's why Zappa ended up producing him at some stage of his career. Look, as, as much as Frank was a mathematician and a scientist, uh, Beefheart had this ability to really tear up the blues. And Zappa was a massive blues fan. And there was something that Beefheart used to do. And the, the thing that he could invoke in his musicians, and he always found the right musos to make this particular sound, no matter which combination of the two or three bands he had, they had a particular sound. They all understood this jazz that came from the swamps. I don't know how to explain it. And Zappa was a true, uh, Zappa was a, as much of a graphic artist as Beefheart, but Beefheart took his graphic art even more seriously. There's a, there's a different headspace, and Zappa had an immense respect for Beefheart. That's why he took him on the road even when he was starting to lose it, because Zappa, uh, because Beefheart started to go through a mental disease, and he ended up resigning from the music industry and lived in the, in the desert. And there's a lovely 25-minute documentary that was done by a German fan of Beefheart in his later days, and it's quite beautiful. And, uh, and Beefheart goes into character and does his poetry, because that is a character. He knows he develops it. Don, Don Vlier is his real name, and his character is Beefheart. He would switch it on. The band would attest it to it, so he was just an average guy. But when he went on screen, or when he went in public... He turned on the Captain Beefheart persona. So he'd become this freak, but he was a poet and an artist. He knew how to play the game, and him and Zappa were both, both understood how the media worked, so they knew how to play that game before they hit the scene. They knew how to, how to time themselves. They knew how to present themselves. They were fully, fully developed because Zappa had studied advertising. He was an advertising copywriter, an advertising Yeah, this, this, he was part of the, the very movement that he would pretend to protest against. <laughs> Well, Frank Zappa's never um, struck me as being a protest musician. He's far too cynical yeah, for yeah. that. Um, I think he just is uh, a keen observer of the human nature. He's a commentator. He's a commentator. But music was his sideline. Mm. So that, that character that he developed, the Frank Zappa on stage character, 
really, um, really was an extension of his. He's actually a scientist and a mathematician. <laughs> and and he, he was so brilliant, though, to be able to do the music as well and yep. to have this ironic stage presentation yes. of himself well, he's, as, as he's, his, his own creation of a rock star. A bit he, like David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust created a, a character. Very so much. Zappa did something like that. You'll find well. that those guys gravitated towards each other. They'd find each other. So I think, I think there was a meeting. With, there was a contact between Paul McCartney and George Harrison and Zappa when George, John Lennon was considering leaving the band during the – during Sergeant Peppers, and they knew that they were going to lose their genius. One of the guys, one of the geniuses was going to leave the band, so they contacted Zappa. And Zappa thought it was a joke because he thought they were contacting him to sue him about the cover. <laughs> Which cover was it? The Sergeant Peppers cover. So the, the, we're only in it for the money. They, he inverted the cover, so he put the outside of the cover on the inside. <laughs> but I've got that album. If you ever want to see it, it's a magnificent tribute to the Beatles. And he, they contacted him. He thought they were going to sue him, and they said, "No, we love it." But, he, but I think there was some. I think the record exec, executive lawyers must have got involved and got him to change it. But um, the what was the topic? Uh, yeah, the persona of Zappa. He um, he was an intense mathematician. His father was a scientist. Uh, but there's an interesting. I mean, there's lots of interesting. Um, sidelines to Zappa's career. Uh, during one of the guitar player interviews, uh, the the guy said to him, "Who you know? Everyone everyone sounds the same to you." He says, "Yeah, the, everyone gets in and plays a couple of squirmy notes, and that's a lead guitar solo." He says, "Who do you consider to be the best guitarist or one of the better guitarists in the pop world?" And he said, "I like Brian May," which is interesting because Brian May is an astronomer. <laughs> <laughs> it's respect for the science. So, so there's a scientist mm-hmm. virtue signaling his buddy through a magazine, basically. <laughs> you know. uh, that's amazing. So, um, so Captain Beefheart. Captain Beefheart. Immense, yeah. amazing poet. Captain mm. Beefheart could stand on stage and read one of his poems, and Zappa would improvise a band piece, and it sounded fully formed. Even when Beefheart would make a mistake, Zappa knew how to introduce the music to answer the, the error and then Beefheart would be back on track. It was a hard tour for him, but there's an immense love for the guy, obviously, because he knew that this guy is powerful. Zappa, Zappa knew talent when he found it. Anyone and, could... and, a, and an amazing voice as well. Oh, phenomenal. Five phenomenal. octaves. Yeah, five octaves. And um, I mean, apparently, he's re- in the day, re- um, the record companies thought, we've got this fantastic blues musician. He is. He um, is. But he would just, it, it was just too much coming out just to be it, it's... limited to one particular musical style. It yeah. was like a whole development of, oh. of music. It was – look, we wouldn't have um, Tom Waits. We would not have Tom Waits. And people say Tom Waits is great, and he is. I love Tom Waits. Great ideas, great recordings, phenomenal person. There it is, another guy, fully formed character, mm. Tom Waits. But yeah. interestingly, they had the same manager. Frank Zappa and Tom Waits had the same manager. Oh, was that uh, – who was that? Was that the Jewish guy? Uh, Bill Graham, was it? Oh, no, no, no. Bill Graham was the film Was the guy. guy who had the film um, We'll yeah. find out and we'll place you, that on the You know the something I don't know. That's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> because they had the same manager, they used to tour together. Oh, and really? so you'd have all these freaks in the audience yeah. waiting for Frank Zappa and Tom Waits would come and do his um, hobo shtick. Perfect. And it wasn't perfect, you know. No. Frank Zappa took great amusement in the fact because they'd all they all these freaks who just wanted freaky sixties. Yeah. Well, it wasn't psychedelic. You can't describe Frank, well, Frank as psychedelic. It was. But it was psychedelic. Yeah, it was part of the movement. But it was more than psychedelic. Something about Los Angeles that always adds toughness to a particular yeah, yeah. sound. The, the Hollywood, because they had the police going out and raiding the, the strip. Yeah. The, the, the strip, not the strip joints. The anyway, strip. Frank. Yeah. Frank, Frank was just. Um, 
What was that? Your glasses are going to oh, be smashed yeah, by. No. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Frank w- w- was highly amused. You know, Tom was uh, – because we were starting out his career as well, and yeah. so he, w- he wasn't the, the confident performer that he became, you know, oh, with, really? with Keith Richards and that. <laughs> <laughs> and, Tom, and he used to just love – you know, love the fact that this – that Tom was opening for him with his, you know, hobo, jazz, smoky, late night <laughs> bluesman sort of just, vibe. Wow. Well, he obviously saw something as well. Yeah. 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 yeah but, so yeah. that's interesting. And another Los Angeles musician. Who else could have dated Ricky Lee Jones at her height? <laughs> <laughs> She's untouchable. Mm-hmm. Well, Tom, Tom yeah. Waits, mate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's right on there. that. Whole, yeah, well, Tom was a good actor, too. Have you seen him in Mystery Men? Yes, I know. <laughs> and yeah, um, Pinchon for down, all the women. By, down by law. I'm, I'm here for the ladies. <laughs> yeah, we've got to stop laughing. These guys are too good at what they do. Yeah, we've got a lot of links to put up on Because yeah. uh, <laughs> that's the thing. We're making a program about music, but due to copyright laws, we can't actually play any music to nah. describe what we're doing. So nah. if you happen nah. to like anything that we're talking about and want to hear more, there'll be a uh, some sort of internet space, a Facebook page or yeah. Uface channel, something, yeah. something which we can um, demonstrate all this. But anyway, sorry, back to LA, LA. at that time. because um, hotbed. You know, I think a lot of people don't realise, you know, some people th- remember the West Coast sound of the 70s, you know, where you Jackson Browns and Eagles and so forth as being indicative of California. But this strange hotbed of music that came and influenced so many people in the 60s, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the pop end of it would have been, I guess, the... Uh, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, you know, Jefferson Airplane, San Francisco, psychedelic sound, yeah. which was really... It was actually soft in comparison to the earlier... Yeah. I think it was gentle. It was, and all the nuggets. It, 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 all that music. The nuggets music of the 60s as well. Nuggets? Nuggets. We'll do another show about nuggets. I've got to learn about these nuggets. <laughs> Well, the Residents are my favourite band from San Francisco mm-hmm. because they sound nothing like anything in the history of music, mm. and uh, they're they're on permanent display at the uh, what's that Smithsonian Institute as mm-hmm. being one of the first bands to create a sound that no one else could create, plus one of the first bands that made real videos, mm-hmm. and uh, their stuff can be seen as a significant movement of art as well as music at the Smithsonian if you're ever in town. <laughs> um. Back to Los Angeles again, yeah. because you mentioned Tim Buckley as being part of that scene. Tim Buckley. Jeff, hang on. We should, for the younger yes, listener, yes, we, yes. we should mention that uh, Tim was Jeff, uh, Jeff Buckley's dad. Yes. Who had an amazing career and died at about the same age as, yeah. um, as Jeff yeah. did. Yeah. 
tragic, tragic in both cases. But yep. Tim Buckley's music. Greetings from LA. The, Greetings from LA. The significant album. Mm-hmm, yep. The significant album yep. and get on top of me, woman. And, uh, and uh, who else was from there? There was Joni Mitchell was making was already making commentary about that period. Mm-hmm. What was the district they all went to? There's a particular district in the hills that they. Oh, Laurel Canyon. Laurel Canyon, which yeah. was the artist. That was Jackson Brown. Yeah, when, yeah. it was the artist Garrett. Basically, mm-hmm. that's where all the artists moved to. They had some sort of place there for a period. I remember hearing an interview. I think it was Glenn Fry or. Um, uh, the other eagle, I can't remember which one it was, mm. but they were living upstairs from Jackson Brown. <laughs> and, and Jackson Brown would get up at the same time every morning and start playing on the piano and writing music and the, the kettle would go on to make a cup of tea at exactly the same time. And um, I mean, they, obviously, you know, these some people think of musicians as being wild out there, cats, but then you get the Jackson Brown. Yeah. And in, fra- fa- in fact, Frank Zappa, was totally anti-drugs and anti-drugs. would never let any of his musicians yep. use any drugs. It was in his contracts. Mm. They weren't allowed to. They'd goof off and do it. And uh, that's that's been well testified that since he's died, there's been a lot of truth come out. And there's been guys that Frank used to visit that used to use... Um, Frank would go and see a lot of bands. And there were some guys that were significant that he would hang with. And uh, he would go and see all their shows. And um, various members of his band would go and record with them. And I know for a fact from one of those guys who's yet to release a book who's a wonderful musician, I think if not uh, as, as, as far as creating the Zappa sound, Zappa wasn't the only guy doing it. There were other guys who knew and understood how that music should be developed. Well, there, was, there was a lot of that period in the early 80s where they created a particular LA sound. That was another movement. And uh, one of the guys from Zappa's band used to record with this particular guitarist. I can't mention any of this because it's in this guy's book, which he hasn't released. And he sent me, he sent me a chapter to read, and he told me a lot of facts about this. Uh, can you mention names? No, no. And the name of the person who's writing. I the can't. Book. Oh, okay. He doesn't release the book because I don't want to. I don't, in case he gets. Um, Is it a drummer? No, no. It's a, it's a guitar player, singer, mm-hmm. and he used to use Zappa's members. And one of them used to ask for payment in dope. <laughs> so there's so much, you know, for the um, contractual contractual obligation of not uh, smoking. But yeah. uh, and um, uh, sorry, you were saying before too, Tim Buckley, yeah. he was um, a part of that scene and friends yeah. with. I, th- I think did um, he used, they used to use the same session musicians because there was a particular there was a particular climate of experimentation and these session musos, this mythology that session musicians uh, were somehow. Highly skilled, but had no emotional um, input to the music. is It's a stupid. I don't know where they came from. I yeah, don't like know Jimmy Page, the, the <laughs> guitarist of choice of the '60s of British pop. Well, so he was the wrong guy, and Steve Howe, because the wrong guys to use. Seeing as you know, during their cold, uh, dislike, disenfranchised, distant, unemotional period where they were becoming session musos, suddenly changed into the most significant guitarists. I find that hard to to, to reconcile. They were great from the beginning and people wanted them because they felt great to have them in the studio and they, they added something that the producer could never think of and uh, a lot of the stuff they recorded became hits and it wasn't an accident. <laughs> These guys knew how to reach the listener. and uh, But there was that scene also in LA. But we had, there was also that period where the, the Wrecking Crew, all those major musicians all, all ended up playing in one particular band or variations of it with the one drummer all the time, Hal Blaine, 90% of the stuff. He was one of the drummers. There was two drummers that were the main plays, but uh, Hal Blaine and all those guys and the, the Max Bennett and all those extra musicians that ended up playing with Tim Buckley and uh, the guys who played with Zappa playing with Tim Buckley. It was, it, was, it was correct, but they weren't... 
they, these, these were just young guys who were good at what they did, who were hanging out, and other people were confident to use them, you know, because they knew they were going to get a particular sound from them. No one knew they were going to be the superstars of the future. No, well, that's right. It's just whatever happened to be was, happening in the scene and yeah. who was hanging around. And yeah. we look at, the, you know, we look back on, yeah. on, on you know, when, uh, you know, they uh, bestrode the earth like colossi. <laughs> 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 and in fact, they're just regular dudes. Regular Everyone's dudes. just a regular dude. They are. Mm. I've, I've been to LA, Phil, and I've, I've met and I've hung with some highly significant um, musicians, um, guys like Alex Acuna and um, Richard Gahate Garcia, uh, John Pena. Um, uh, Ramon Stagnaro and um, I, I roomed with Ramon and uh, Ramon is a superstar and uh, Alex Kuhn is a superstar these are the first rung players who are away from the stage they're married men whose wives don't see them very often who are trying to bring up a family that are prepared to do charity work they're ordinary men with ordinary problems and uh, you know we, I see them in interviews I watch them on videos going wow but off stage you know Chatting with their wives, and the wife saying, "I haven't seen my husband for for three weeks, you know, and uh, can't wait to get home." You know, it's like ordinary lives off stage. Now, Frank Zappa, there's a couple of things I need to um, add to it because I want to bring in the Australian connections oh, yeah. to Frank Zappa. Oh, now, yeah. Well, one of the first ones was um, Barry Leaf. Yes. Now, Barry Leaf was in a band called... <laughs> Bakery. Bakery. Yes. And um, he's a great singer, great yeah, performer. He is. He's fantastic. He still oh, plays around Sydney now. Still. And he's still... As real. good as the first You know, time. he went to Maurizio. Some of these people were going to... Um, I uh, have on the pro- later yes. podcast. I want to get Murray on, Morris yeah. Debruzzi. We'll get Debruzzi. Barry. We'll get Barry. But what um, Murray was saying is that um, even at this age, Barry went to Murray to have some guitar lessons because there were just some stuff that he wasn't confident with. And Correct. just, I mean, that's commitment for someone who's been in the industry for how about, 40 years? Barry's an elementary player. Uh, on the guitar because his vocals are so advanced. He, only, he, he would always get the best musicians around him. So he only needed to have enough guitar for him to work through a song and occasionally he'd take it on stage with him. Mm. And uh, he would never play lead solo. Mm-hmm. He only played, he started playing lead on a gig I did with him a couple of years ago at the boat shed. Mm-hmm. And he asked me how, how he was. And this is an idol. I'm playing, sitting there playing with a guy who I get on with, sure. The guy, the guy, we'll just bring him back to Frank yeah. Zappa, the guy who Frank wanted to go and sing. Yeah, he, he wanted sang, to take him and put him, take him on correct. the road. He sang Road Ladies on stage with, uh, with Bakery, and Zappa happened to hear it, and, uh, and Barry's voice being so magnificent. And Barry's voice is huge. It's, it's warm. It's bluesy. It's got a rasp. It's got, it, it, it misses the note in the most perfect it just yields to you, and you have to listen to his voice. You can't just walk past and go, "Nice singer." You go, you walk past and you go, "I've got to, I want to see who that's coming from." <laughs> and you walk in, and there's this fully formed shape of a man who's definitely looks like a lumberjack, you know. Looks, and he, he's he's worked in the building side. He was a scaffolder, mm-hmm. he, you know. He's he's taken the bull by the horns. Even his career went dark for a while, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
He and um, so, sites. if anyone's in Sydney, you know, he plays at a lot of places around yep. the place and yep. around the traps and pubs. Never and a disappointment. Never a disappointment. Never. Great. And yeah. Frank Zappa wanted him to sing, but he had to stay because of contractual obligations <laughs> with stayed? Bakery. Well, he he. Uh, oh, let me just uh, let me just um, correct you on that one, Phil. Well, we he, can get to Barry in on another program, yeah, and we'll. Um, well, I can tell you, it was he was a young man with a family, and he wanted to make. He wasn't sure about this man. Sapper guy, and so he decided to opt in for the family. But there's some beautiful. St- he, he told the story on stage. He never told us when we were rehearsing. We, we had this band, the George Duke Tribute Band. Soon after George Duke passed away, moment of silence for my favourite musician. Uh, after George Duke passed away, uh, we decided me and uh, Nola Moe and a few of the guys who were massive George Duke fans decided to create a tribute band. We invited Barry because we knew Barry had been part of the George Duke thing and uh, uh, part of the Zappa thing and he'd met George Duke at the same band that I saw and uh, he heard he did a song with us and he heard the earliest version of that song George Duke called him over and said let's check this song out I'm writing and he performed that song with us it's just such an honour man <laughs> um, hey by the way have you got the time because we just should keep an eye. I didn't yeah. bring a clock up did you ever get to meet any of these guys we're talking about Phil? Um, which ones you mean? Any, okay, so anyone, we, anyone we've ever mentioned. Oh, <laughs> you met once Barry. Or twice. You've met Barry? No, no, I haven't. Oh, no, that doesn't make sense. Anyway, seen him play, and he's fantastic. Mm. But just to wind up the um, mm. those these connections in the Australia and Frank Zappa, mm. there was also the um, the the concert. Did you go to the concert? I didn't. With Norman go, Gunston? I didn't. I went to the first one. Yeah, uh, which was a few two years earlier. No, I didn't go to the Norman Gunston. This one. was January 20, 1976. I think I was in 74. Been, okay, so you went in 74. <laughs> 76. I went. <laughs> I went Sorry, so, this is too funny. I've got to get off mic and laugh. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, um, Norman Gunston, what a guy. Yeah, because uh, Frank Zappa appeared on the Norman Gunston show and jammed. I mean, we'll try and put that clip up as well. Oh, yeah. Doing a blues jam because he was quite a good harmonica player. Oh, but he's um, just too good. Now, the. Um, and then. So we're watching Frank Zappa, and um, I think the song was The Torture Never Stops. Probably. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. Probably. And then suddenly you see the blue jacket coming across the stage and the harmonica go. <laughs> and Frank Zappa does his, um, his uh, guest <laughs> appearance. Now, the thing is, is that that concert was recorded. Really? Later became a bootleg. Okay. And then later got officially released by the family after, oh, I didn't know after that. Frank's passing. And F- Keith Walker, who was the engineer at Double J, who yeah. recorded it, yeah. who's a friend who will appear on the, another podcast yeah. later yeah. on because he's got plenty of stories yeah. about the music industry yeah. and recording. World's greatest engineer, Keith Walker. Yes. And, um, yeah, he was the one that did the original two-track reel-to-reel tape that came off the mixing oh, console. Wow. Um, I, I, I don't know. We'll, fi- we'll find out the story when he comes in and hear yeah. about him and his um, recording of Frank Zappa and Midnight Oil and many other. Can I go back limitless- to Gary McDonald for a second? Yes. <laughs> Do you know what happened after that concert? <laughs> no. Immediately after the concert when the band cleared the stage, Gary came out in his character as Norman Gunston and went around the stage and picked up all the cigarette butts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he had a, I remember he had a little broom and one of those brooms and the, the little catcher. <laughs> what, a, what a completionist. He's just stayed in character the whole time. Okay, well, look, I think we need to complete this episode yeah. anyway. And I, I just want to complete it. Oh, sorry, did you have one more? Yeah, I just, uh, as, uh, just to tribute this uh, show, if we can, to John McConnell, one of the greatest engineers in live music in Australia. 
I was about to do an album with John. John passed away uh, of uh, two strokes on Thursday, and uh, and I was going to meet him for lunch on Friday. So, uh, with all okay, due well, respect that's to it. John. Do you respect? Do you respect to John? Um, just to finish off the LA story, and uh, I think. Um, the monkeys being an LA band, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and all of those people all being part of the scene and yeah. hanging out together, yeah. and Jack and Frank and um, Tim, Tim Buckley appeared on the monkeys. Frank appeared on the monkeys, but the trouble was the monkeys got big, bigger ideas and wanted to play their own instruments, write their own songs, and then they're quite talented musicians. In fact, their latest album. Have you heard their latest album? Came I out didn't last know year? there was a latest album. It's really Thank good. Thank you very much. Produced by the guy from Weezer who did some oh, co-writing really? with it, and it's really I've poppy, a... and check it out. It's really good. We'll put some links up there Mickey's as well. one of the greatest singers in pop music. Yeah. He's serious. And he still sounds good. Oh. Um, Anyway, so to end end the program, I just wanted to uh, relate the sad end of the monkeys because um, the people they were a TV show basically, mm. and the band came out of that. The, the um, band grew the Millie Vanilli of the sixties. Yeah, the Millie Vanilli or the um, what is it? The what sort of the One Direction? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a there's a whole shelf full of One Direction at St Vinnie's if you need to grab a copy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just one shelf? <laughs> one shelf. <laughs> um, anyway, so the... Uh, the thing is, is that they they shut down the TV show because they be, they came too troublesome. The person who was making the show then went on to make the Archies because he decided he wasn't no going to work. There was no humans. <laughs> he was just going to have a, a cartoon band because they would they would always do what Soul he freak. he told him. And his name was Bob. Bob. Oh, the memories game was oh. on the the end of every episode. Bob. Yeah, Bob. Forgettable. And I yeah. think even thinking, I think Jack Nicholson was in Head as well, wasn't Jack, he? But I think Jack also produced some of the Monkeys episodes, TV shows. That's right, he did yeah. too. Directed and produced. Okay. Or so, directed, sorry. So um, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please, would love your commentary. We're not sure how this is going to be going out, but it will be going out some in some form or another. I've got one small story. You know that the, <laughs> you know the, the Monkeys, when they're on tour, accidentally booked this guitar player to open for them? And the guitar player had a few hits out. His name was Jimi Hendrix. So they came out to play, and the monkeys were so pleased that they said yes to Jimi Hendrix. Mickey Dolans and, and, uh, and uh, well, they used to stand back side stage and watch his opening act because they were big fans of him. And, and they looked around the curtain, looked at the audience, and all these little girls were terrified with their mothers watching this <laughs> gyrating, wild. gyrating monster <laughs> bringing, bringing all hell down with <laughs> jet airplanes playing his hits. If anyone has ever seen a video of uh, Jimi Hendrix, just imagine a six-year-old kid sitting in front of one of those. In the 60s. In with the a 60s. Bee, with a mother with a beehive hairdo. <laughs> he got fired. <laughs> this has been Is This Shirt Slimming? <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it. My name is Christopher. Ah, Phil. <laughs> Good night, Phil. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.